0: this adage or, or something really close to it. Um, it's been attributed to all kinds of different people, everyone from Ann Landers to Abigail Van Buren to Malcolm Forbes to, to Charles Spurgeon. But but here's the quote. You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Isn't that good? I, I think that's so true. And and this morning, as we continue our study in the book of James, that's going to be kind of the underlying theme of the passage that we're going to look at today. And we do treat people differently, don't we, sometimes? And, and I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking, you know, if I could go with you for a week, and you didn't know that I was around you, I would begin to be able to understand whether or not you're guilty of the sin that we're going to talk about this morning by the way you treat other people. Let's say I could, I could go there. You wouldn't know I was there, and you went to the doctor's office, and here's what I'd do. I'd look to see how you treated the receptionist and the lab tech technician and the, and the assistant to the doctor, and then I'd look and see how that compared to how you treated the doctor when he or she came in. Or maybe you went to the grocery store, and, and I would look to see how you treated that cashier that had this big old long line of grumpy people coming through one after another. Or if you went to a restaurant, I'd look and see how do you treat the waiter or the waitress or how do you treat the bus person compared to how you treat the chef when he comes around through the dining room to, to kind of greet everyone and check on how they're doing. Or or here's one. I would, I would go with you to church, and I would observe how you treat other people who might be different than you, someone with different skin color, someone that uh, might drive a more expensive car than you or a less expensive car than you. Someone who might have tattoos and body piercings versus someone who doesn't. And that that, that last one, that's the one that James is going to address this morning as we continue our study that, that we've been going through in the book of James. We've labeled this sermon series Faith Works because in the book of James, James is very practical. He tells us how our faith ought to operate in our day-to-day lives. And so far, we've had some some really good stuff that we've learned, right? We've talked about how do we handle trials? How do we count it joy when we find find ourselves in the midst of trials? We talked about how we could triumph over temptation. And then last week, we talked about why good intentions are not enough. And we've seen that in each one of these sections that we've looked at, that James starts out with, like, a, a big command, the main command, and he kind of surrounds it with some other material that, that helps us to apply that. And we're going to see the very same thing this morning. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that main command right off the bat. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to James chapter 2 this morning. We'll pick up where we left off uh, last week. You can follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. My brothers, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So right away, we we see the command here. It's right at the very beginning, right? Pretty obvious. Show no partiality. And in the Greek, if you look at the underlying Greek, there's actually even more of a sense of urgency to you. You could almost translate this stop showing partiality. So we know there was a problem in the church there that, that James is ministering in, where, where people are showing partiality. So, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to show partiality? I think some of your other translators will call it, or translations might call it, respect of persons. It's a really interesting word. It's this compound word in Greek that literally means to receive a face. And the idea here is that that we make judgments on other people by looking on their outward appearance and we treat them according to what we see there. And that's what was going on in the in the church there these people were looking at other people based on what they could see on the outside. And James gives us a really good illustration here and I'm going to I'm going to take a little artistic liberty here and kind of bring this illustration forward to what it might look like in our culture today. So these two people, they show up to visit church. And the first guy, he gets out of his Tesla, and he's dressed really nice. He has some fine clothes on. He's wearing gold chains. He has a Rolex watch on, some rings all over his finger. The word there actually means that the guy is gold, gold-fingered, gold so he's got all these rings on. And he comes into church, and so Steve or whoever's out there, what do they do? They they take and they make sure that this guy comes and is introduced to the pastors. He's introduced to the elders. He's given the finest seat, which in our culture is usually the back row. So he goes ahead and he clears the back row out, lets the guy sit in the back row. He tells all the families that have kids, make sure you don't bother this guy. And then another visitor shows up. And this guy gets out of his car that's held together literally with baling wire and duct tape. And the guy obviously got his clothes at Goodwill. And he's got some, some tattoos and some body piercings. And uh, frankly, the guy could use a shower. So when they come in, the greeters kind of whisk them off to the other room. And when the service starts, they say, you know, you might be more comfortable just watching, the, watching this out in the lobby. And that's kind of what's going on here. They're, they're making distinctions based on the outward appearance of the person that comes in. And church is obviously not the only place we can do that, but but that's what James is primarily concerned with here. And so he says, don't show partiality. That's a sin. But I want to take and I want to kind of turn that around. I I think this is something that we all think, well, I would never do that. But I think, frankly, we have a tendency to do it all the time, whether we even recognize it. So I want to kind of turn this around. And and instead of kind of phrasing this in a negative way, I want to put it in a positive way. And here's, here's, so here's what I want to say. I want to say this, that genuine faith causes you to love everyone equally. That's really what he's saying here. If you have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, you can't show partiality. You're going to love everyone equally. Now, I need to to share a couple caveats with you. That doesn't mean that in every single situation that you're going to treat people exactly equally. It means that when there's, you know, sometimes people have a, a position or they have a a role in which you might need to treat them differently, that's not what I'm talking about here. Let me give you an example. My wife, because she's my wife, she has a priority when it comes to my time and my attention. And the same thing is true with my kids and with my grandkids. You guys don't all have equal rights to my time and my attention as they do because of the role that they play in my life. So if you come to me and you say, Pat, could we go out and and have a cup of coffee. I, there's some stuff I want to talk to you about. If I turn around and say to you, you know what? I can't do it right then. I've already made, I have something I'm going to do with my wife. Or I'm going to go watch one of my kids' games. That's not the kind of partiality that he's talking about here. Those There's some things like that. But what he is talking about is that all things being equal, that we need to love other people equally. So James does two things in this passage that's that's really going to help us with that. First of all, he's going to show us why it is such a big deal when we commit the sin of partiality, because I think a lot of us think, well, that's not such a big deal. And then the second thing he's going to do, he's going to kind of reveal the motives behind that and help us to understand that so that we can make sure that we don't engage in that sin. So let's talk about first why partiality is such a big deal. And it is a big deal. And there's really three reasons here that he gives us in this passage. The first one is this, because it violates the character of Jesus. It violates the character of Jesus and who he is. Notice James here, James, who's probably the half-brother of Jesus, he calls Jesus here, what does he call him? The Lord of glory. And there's a couple of things wrapped up in there. I think, first of all, he's saying, you know, Jesus is the only one who really has glory because all the rest of us are sinners. And in, in Romans, Paul says that we fall what? Fall short of what? The glory of God. So he's reminding us that we're all sinners. But even beyond that, I think what he's doing is, is saying this, that one day Jesus is going to return in his glory. And when he does that, he is going to come and judge. But he's not going to judge based on external things. He's going to judge based on our heart and based on what we've done with our faith in Jesus Christ. And so what happens when we begin to, to judge other people? First of all, we're not qualified to do that because we're imperfect sinners. But secondly, we're actually usurping the role that God has given to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why, that's why partiality is such a big deal. Now, I'm not saying here that, that we never make judgments within the body of Christ. That's, that's just not true. For example, in 1 Corinthians, here what, here's what Paul writes about making judgments within the body of Christ. He says, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. And if you read that in context, here's what he's saying. When there's rampant, open, unconfessed, unrepentant sin within the body of Christ, within a local church body, you do have to make judgments about that. You have to root that, that evil out of the church because it could impact the entire body. But he says when it comes to outsiders, it's not our job to judge them based on these, these external things because when we do that, we're actually usurping the role of Jesus. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that because it violates the sovereignty of God. It violates the sovereignty of God. And we see we see James writing here about the sovereignty of God in verse 5. Here's what he writes in verse 5. He says, Has not God chosen? That's God's sovereignty. God has chosen. Who's God chosen? He's chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. And so what happens when we begin to judge other people We put ourselves in the place of God because what are we doing? We're putting up barriers that might keep that person from becoming part of God's kingdom. And in effect, what we're saying to God is, God, I know you may have chosen them, but I'm going to go ahead and decide who I'm going to choose. I'm going to decide how I'm going to treat other people, and I'm going to judge them based on these external things. And when we do that, it violates the sovereignty of God. The third reason that it's a big deal is because it violates the law of God. The law of God. Look what he writes here. He says this about the law. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your... uh, I'm going to come to that in a second. Let me go back for a second. What he does, he talks about the royal law. and He talks about this law of loving your neighbor as yourself. And it's the royal law for a couple of reasons. One is because it's the law that governs God's kingdom, but it's also the royal law because of the importance that Jesus gave us. And this is where Jesus is talking. In Matthew chapter 22, some people come to him, the religious leaders, and they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And here's what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But then he says this, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it's also the royal law because it kind of governs along with the, the law to love our God. It governs all the other commandments. And when we violate that when we judge other people based on external circumstances, we're violating that law of love. We're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. And just in case you doubt that that this sin of partiality is a big deal, James, he tells us here that it's just as bad as any other sin, doesn't he? He says, just because you don't commit adultery and you commit murder, that's a sin, right? You would all agree that if you don't commit adultery but you commit murder, it's a sin. He's saying it's the same thing here. If you don't murder, if you don't commit adultery, if you don't do all these other things, but you engage in partiality, he's saying that's just as big a deal as any other sin in our life. And so it's something that we need to make sure that we, we take care of in our lives. So I want to close this morning by talking about how do we, Love everyone equally. How do we make sure that we avoid this sin of partiality? First thing that I have to do is I have to remember who I was. I have to remember who I was. You know what? For every single one of us, we were all in the same boat at one time. Before we put our faith in Jesus Christ, every one of us was a sinner who needed a Savior. Every single one of us. Paul summarizes this really well in Ephesians chapter 2 when he writes this. And you, and he speaks, when he writes you, put your name in there when you read this passage. And you, and you, Pat Damian, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And here's the the important part. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's what he's saying to us. You know what? You're no better than that other person. Because just like that other person, no matter what they look like on the outside, You were dead in your sins and transgressions, and a dead person cannot bring himself or herself back to life. And so you needed a Savior, and you needed a Savior just as much as this other person did. So every time that you're tempted to go and judge someone else based on what they look like on the outside, how they dress, what kind of car they drive, where they go to school, anything else on the external stuff, You need to remember that you're in the same boat that they are, except for the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you need to remember who you were. Here's the second thing you need to do. You need to check your motives. I need to check my motives. Here's what, what James writes about that here. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with what? Evil thoughts. He says, when you judge someone else like that, when you begin to make these distinctions, when you engage in partiality, what you're really doing is that your motives are wrong. You have evil thoughts. He's going to talk more about this later on in his letter, but But the idea here is that when this rich guy came in, they're thinking, how can this guy do something for me? How can he do something for me, right? And we do that sometimes, don't we? You see, the reason we engage in this sin is because we're selfish people. And we're always looking for personal gain. And this rich guy comes into the church, and the people are thinking, how can this guy benefit me in some way? I think that's what they were thinking, either personally or, or maybe how can he benefit us as a church? Maybe they were out of work and, and they said, man, this guy, he owns this big company and I'll bet I could get a job from him. Or maybe he can introduce me some, to some really influential people who will help me out in my career. Or maybe they're thinking more on a a corporate level, and they're thinking, you know, the church could really use some new pews. Ours are kind of worn out. Or maybe the air conditioner just broke down, and this guy's got a lot of money, so let's welcome him in. Maybe we can get something out of it. That was the kind of thoughts that they were going about. And I think there's a, a pretty simple way for us to To begin to judge our own motives and to think about those, it's what I shared with you at the very beginning of the message this morning. How do you treat those who can do nothing for you? I think that's a pretty good test. And if you're treating those people equal to the ones who can do something for you, then then probably this isn't an issue for you. But for some of us, when we answer that question, honestly, we'd have to say, yeah, my, my motives are pretty selfish, so I have to check my motives. One more thing that we need to do is that we need to look at every person through the lens of the gospel. And this, I'd say this really is the most important thing you could take away this morning. This is what we need to do. We need to get in the habit of looking at other people through the lens of the gospel. James ends this section with these words. He says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, God, because God is holy, it, requires, it means he's righteous. It requires him to judge sin. Absolutely. But at the same time, God is also merciful and loving and slow to anger. And for us, sometimes those two ideas are hard to kind of bring together, aren't they? How can God, on one hand, how can He be just? How can He punish sin and, on the other hand, be merciful and slow to anger and gracious? And the answer is that mercy triumphs over judgment through the gospel. It triumphs over mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross... He paid the penalty that every single one of us deserve to pay. He did that on our behalf, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. And he also loves that other person that you're judging as well. I love the way that the prophet Isaiah put this whole process. Here's what he said. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Kind of goes back to the idea we talked about before, right? We were all dead in our transgression. And sins. We are all sheep who have gone astray. Everyone to his own way. And yet, the Lord laid on him, on Jesus Christ, the iniquity, the sin of us all. And so, when you look at another person, what do you, what do you see? Do you see that person's faults and their sins? Do you see the, the exterior that might be a little bit different? than what you're used to? Do you see how much money that person has or doesn't have? Or do you see that other person as someone who Jesus loves? That He loves so much that he died on the cross to make it possible for them to have a relationship with him. So we've seen this morning that genuine, genuine faith causes you to love everyone equally. I was thinking as I was working on this this week, here's another way we could say the same thing that maybe helps us to to understand this whole idea a little bit better and that's this since everybody matters to Jesus, everyone must matter to us. I think that's really at the heart of what this passage is teaching us. Since everyone matters to Jesus, everyone matters to us. Last week, we talked a little bit about this idea of being slow to anger when it comes to the Word of God. And we said that, that sometimes we can build up a resentment to the, to the Word of God because it shines light into our lives. And I think this is one of those areas where, where that could easily happen, unfortunately. And maybe this morning, God has been speaking to you about about maybe someone you've mistreated, maybe even someone who's sitting here in this room with us this morning that you've mistreated, that you've judged because of what they look like on the outside. And so I want to give you a few minutes right now just to to reflect upon that. And here's what I want to ask you to do is, is really three things. Number one, I want to ask you just pray. God, would you reveal if I've done that to anyone, whether it's, whether it's someone in this room, whether it's someone in my neighborhood, whether it's someone in my family, would you just reveal that? Reveal that to me. So number one, pray for that. Number two, if God reveals something to you, you need to confess that. You need to confess it to God, number one, but you might have to go confess that to the other person and ask for their forgiveness too if you've done that. And then third, I want to make this really practical. If God reveals that, would you pray? for that other person? Would you pray? Would you, If they're not yet a disciple of Jesus, would you pray that God would draw them to him and help them to understand their need for a Savior? And if they are, would you pray for God to bless them? It's pretty hard to be angry with someone that you're praying for, right? So go ahead and pray for them. And, and maybe God will even give you an opportunity to do that with them face-to-face. So go ahead. If you go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes, take just a few minutes to do that, to pray confess if you need to and then to pray for that other person Just so want to encourage you. You might need to continue that process. Uh, we want to give you a little bit of time here, but maybe that'll take some more time this week. I want to encourage you just to spend some time with God, praying about those things, asking Him to reveal His heart, so that you could make sure that you're not doing that. Now, earlier on, I, I shared a passage with you from Ephesians chapter two, and and frankly, if we just kind of end with that passage, it's not very encouraging, is it? It says we were all dead in our transgressions and sins. It says that every single one of us deserves the wrath of God. But as we close this morning, I want to share with you the next verses that follow that because that's really the encouragement. And it starts with the word but. You are all dead in your transgressions. You are all children of wrath. You all deserve the wrath of God, but. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, That is what Jesus has done for each one of us who have placed our faith in him. How dare we treat anyone in a way that would become a barrier for allowing them to experience that same grace and mercy that we've experienced. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the, what he did on the cross to make it possible for us to have a relationship with you. And Father, I know the hearts of the people here that that none of us want to do anything that would get in the way of of you extending your grace and your mercy towards others. So Father, for some of us this morning, you've shown the light into our lives and you've revealed some, some dark places where we've treated other people in ways that we should never have done. And I pray that as you reveal that, that each person would confess that to you, they would They would seek forgiveness from the other person. They would do whatever is needed to make restoration and restitution. And that they would really live by that royal law and love their neighbor as themselves. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Help us to remember each day just how undeserving we are of your love. And help that influence the way that we treat others. We ask that in Jesus' name.